Live from the basement, this is Cellar Dweller Sports. And we're back with another edition of Cellar Dweller Sports featuring K-Dog and G-Mac. Welcome back to the Cellar. We're here with the New York Jets and the New York Giants. The rundown today is Mike Vaccaro interview, NCAA three picks, NFL three picks, Jets and Giants preview and rewind, and K-Dog's fantasy minute at the end. So we'll start off first with the Mike Vaccaro interview. The New York Post writer joined us in the cellar t- today, and here's the interview. Fellow cellar dwellers, we have another guest, lead sports columnist for the New York Post since 2002, covering all New York sports for the Post. He has been over, he has won over 50 awards since beginning his coverage in 1989. He has also earned New York Sports Writer of the Year for the third time in 2020. Only six other writers have earned this honor. He has also authored three books, including Emperors and Idiots, The Red Sox and Yankees Rivalry, 1941, The Greatest Year in Sports, and the first fall classic about the 1912 World Series between the Red Sox and the Giants. He is also... The biggest part, a graduate of St. Bonaventure University, Mike Vaccaro, joins the cellar. Welcome, Mike. Go bodies, Kenny. How you doing? I'm doing great. Um, so we'll start with the Jets. And you wrote a column on why Trevor Lawrence has uh, – why the Trevor Lawrence should take a gamble on the Jets. So assuming the Jets will get the first-round pick, which lo- seems very likely – do you think there is any chance the Jets don't pick Trevor Lawrence? Well, I think that if they find out that he's uh, good to go and, you know, isn't going to play any games with them, I think he will. I think they will. Um, I, I, I don't think that in their heart of hearts they've given up on Sam Darnold, but I also think they realize that when, when you have a generational quarterback like that, uh, you have to think long and hard. Plus there's precedent. Look, I mean, they, the Arizona Cardinals thought they'd gotten their generational quarterback in Josh Rosen, and a year later they're picking Kyler Murray, and they're very happy with where they are now. And I think that, uh, look, I, that, that's just the way of the NFL world right now. If you can identify uh, and have the ability to get a quarterback who can be a generational quarterback for you, you have to go, you have to go after them. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of unfair for Sam because he's been surrounded by lousy teams for three years. He's been hurt. He's never really been given a full opportunity in terms of having weapons around him and a team that's uh, got anything other than him ambitious to try and just stay alive. Um, but that's the way it goes sometimes. I mean, you know, maybe a change of scenery for him will be as effective as it was for Tannehill in Tennessee. Um, but certainly I think the Jets, if they have the opportunity to get Trevor Lawrence, they will. It gets a little murkier if they somehow win a game and wind up picking second or third. You know, will they then think about picking Justin Fields with the same idea if they view him in the same way that they and everybody else uh, seems to view Trevor Lawrence? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that there's any way Trevor stays in school like Peyton Manning did in 96 when the Jets had the first pick in the draft? 
Look, I think there's always a chance of that. I mean, he can if he wants to. I think the money is so great. And the fact is you want to start your clock uh, toward getting beyond your rookie contract as quickly as you can. And that'll allow you to maximize, you know, as many, as, as much, as many dollars as you can down the road. So I don't think it'd necessarily be a very smart play. He's going to get his degree. Obviously there's a kid waiting in the wings as we saw last week. Mm. I'm not even going to try and pronounce <laughs> two freshman quarterbacks named from Clemson, but uh, he obviously played very well against Boston College. I'll be playing this week against Notre Dame. Um, so it's not, I mean, I, look, I, I'm sure Clemson would, 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 wouldn't say, no, you can't come back, but they're, they're set there. So it's not like he's going to get a lot of pressure from uh, the people on campus. Uh, they, would, they would love to send Trevor Lawrence out with a national championship, maybe Heisman Trophy, although that seems a little bit less possible now that he's going to miss a couple of games with COVID. But, uh, you know, I think it's a little bit different than it was in Tennessee. I think that when Peyton was in Tennessee, there were a lot of uh, outside forces that were whispering in his ear, telling him to stay, including people in Knoxville. And I just don't know if there's going to be that kind of a, of a, of a push for Trevor Lawrence, uh, similar to what it was with Peyton, you know, 22 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. Uh, you talk about Joe Namath and his uh, desire to conquer New York and like really relish in being like the top dog in New York. Do you think Trevor Lawrence has that same charisma and moxie to get it done in New York? Well, I think he's, uh, he, he's never been bashful in terms of embracing his stature as one of the highest profile players in college football. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it'll translate to the NFL or translate to New York City. Obviously, Clemson, South Carolina is a little bit different market than, than New York City is, but um, he seems to have, you know, certainly an understanding of the power of, of a quarterback and what a guy in his position is capable of doing, you know, whether it's a message regarding COVID-19, a message regarding athletes' rights, whether it's a message regarding, you know, who he is and what he wants to do for these, for Clemson. He's been very, you know, he's, he's, he's not necessarily a prolific Twitter user, but he's used Twitter, used social media, not shy, not shy and not bashful. Mm-hmm. And I think those are certain elements that you look to and you say, all right, well, maybe he really could translate, you know, that to the pros and Clemson to New York. Um, you, know, you probably don't really know that for sure until, until he gets here. But, um, you know, I'm not sure that you can necessarily expect it to be Joe Namath Jr. Because Namath was such a great fit for New York and it was a different time. And certainly New York in 1965 for a young single athlete uh, was a little bit different landscape than it is now. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the whole idea of what was available to Namath back then and what will be available to Trevor Lawrence now, uh, that's still still on the table. That's That's still what New York is. Um, until further notice. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I think he'd do fine here. I don't think, I don't think it would overwhelm him. Uh, he's a guy who's known the media spotlight since he was a sophomore in high school. So he's used to that. You know, we, I, I think sometimes we, we, we underrate, you know, just how advanced athletes are now as opposed to even someone like Joe Namath, who was a famous college football player. But what did that mean in 1963 and 64? It meant his team was on TV two or three times a year, and then again, the Sugar Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Trevor Lawrence, every, every game that Trevor Lawrence has played in college has been on national TV. A lot of his games were available uh, either on TV or streaming on the internet when he was in high school. Um, he is used to the attention. 
in a way that nobody in 1962, other than maybe the president, could possibly have been used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much fun do you think the AFC East would be uh, if Trevor Lawrence were to be drafted by the Jets with Tua uh, on the Dolphins and then Josh Allen uh, on the Bills? Well, it's funny when you say that, right? Because who's the, who's the odd man out in that equation? It's the Patriots who are, mm-hmm. you know, obviously the, the caretaker there is Cam Newton and uh, I don't think he's long for New England. Even if he comes back next year, I don't think he's any, anything close to a long-term plan. So, you know, Bill Belichick, I think, is still trying to identify who his uh, next long-term quarterback is since the one he had for so long is currently playing in Tampa. So, yeah, it would be, it would be a lot of fun because you'd have those three talents focused in the division playing against each other twice a year, you know, battling it out for, you know, the next generation of who the AFC East is going to be you know, in these years following the Patriots dynasty. So that'll be a real blast for sure. Um, just to see these guys kind of, you know, match up with each other. I mean, you kind of would have liked to think if you were a Jets fan to have Sam Darnold be part of that conversation already, mm-hmm. but uh, just circumstances have not allowed that. And I think that, look, if the, as we said earlier, if the possibility exists for the Jets to move on uh, to someone like Trevor Lawrence, I think they'll embrace that possibility. Mm-hmm. Moving on to uh, head coaches, uh, why do you think Adam Gase has yet to be fired? Well, I think part of it is that there's not a lot of urgency in this year, frankly. I mean, you know, you play eight home games at MetLife Stadium in front of zero fans. And you think about what that would be like if there were fans in the stadium and the Jets were as bad as they've been and how ugly it would have gotten. I think that, you know, when you have to answer to people week after week, I think that the urgency is far greater among the people above, above him to want to throw their, those, those fans a bone. It's a lot different when there's a buffer, whether it's, you know, look, I mean, there's, you know, all you gotta do is open up the phone lines on a, on a local talk radio station and Adam Gase will, will be, you know, destroyed for four and five hours at a time. Mm-hmm. You know, all you have to do is read my email or inbox uh, when I write a, a Jets column or specifically a Gaze column to see just how popular he is among Jets fans <laughs> right now. But that's a different feeling. It's a different, you know, Every, everybody's kind of in the same boat, even the, you know, even the teams that are allowing fans in the, in the stadium, it's not any, anywhere near what it is in normal times. And I think that's part of it. I mean, and, and there's also the consideration that if you fire him now, I mean, who are we going to go to? I mean, the defensive coordinator has a name, but his, but, but his unit has been even worse in some, on some Sundays than Gase's. Mm-hmm. You know, Greg Williams has a, has, has a reputation. He's got a name and, that's the, that's the guy you think they would turn to. And I'm, I'm not so sure that that wouldn't just destroy what's left in the morale in the locker room if he's rewarded for what's been a disappointing and in some ways brutal season for the Jets defense. So, uh, you know, sometimes I think in this instance, I can understand the argument that chains for chains sake uh, probably might be counterproductive. Um, I probably, if I was a guy in charge, I still would have fired him only because I just think it's been deplorable to watch just how non-competitive the Jets are week to week. But uh, I, I can understand uh, the opinion of someone who chooses not to do that also. Mm-hmm. So obviously Gase will be fired at the end of the year. So who do you think the Jets will look to for a new head coach? It's a great question. I mean, I, 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 they, 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 they've tried a lot of different paths. They've tried a lot of first-time coaches in the last 20 years. They've tried in Gase, you know, kind of a controversial retread. Um, you know, to, to, to mixed results. I mean, you know, obviously Rex Ryan three coaches ago had a, a nice little run. Um, it's interesting, I mean, you know, 
The last time they made an impactful hire that resonated throughout the league was probably Bill Parcells in 1997. And the fact is that there is no Parcells out there right now. There just isn't. You know, and I think there were some people who thought maybe Mike McCarthy was that kind of guy. And a lot of Jets fans and a lot of Giants fans were unhappy when they didn't hire McCarthy. And you look at the dumpster fire that's currently taking place in Dallas. Um, and I think we can, we can safely say that, that McCarthy was not a Parcells in waiting at all. Um, there's not that guy right now. So I think what you have to do is try and identify who that guy is. I mean, certainly a name that's going to be there because his name is always there is Jim Harbaugh. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mostly because you know, you're going to you know, the new coach is probably going to be required to be able to shepherd a new quarterback into the league. Harbaugh has a, has a history of being able to do that, uh, both with Alex Smith, with Colin Kaepernick. Um, he's likely to be available at the right price because, well, he's probably not going to get fired in Michigan. He's obviously not the, uh, the uh, fair-haired crown prince that he was there five or six years ago. Um, so that's certainly one to look at. Um, I know Eric Bieniemy is, is going to be on everybody's wish list. He's going to get a job somewhere in the league next year. Um, certainly, he's a guy that Jets uh, should talk to, will talk to, mm-hmm. uh, and certainly, uh, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to imagine that you will find a better, ready-made assistant coach than Bieniemy, given what his career looks like, who his who his mentors have been, uh, and, and and obviously what the what the Chiefs' offense looks like on his watch. Um, even if you want to give a lot of that credit to Andy Reid, it's still the enemy who's the guy who kind of makes that tick and kind of inspires those guys to play every week. So you can't overlook that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the GM spot, Joe Douglas has uh, been with the Jets for a year now, but uh, do you think he could rebuild the franchise? And how long does he have to take to try and rebuild this team? Well, it's in year two of a six-year deal, so I can't imagine the Jets are going to blow him up yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, he's had a really difficult first two years, and you know if they go zero and sixteen or one and fifteen, that's on his that's on his permanent record. Every bit as much as it is, as it is Adam Gaze's. But that said, look what he's done is try to set the Jets up for the next couple of years. They're going to have more salary cap room than any team in the, in the league, so you have that going for you. You have all kinds of draft picks. Uh, coming to you the next two years, uh, courtesy of a couple of trades that have stripped, that kind of stripped the talent away from the, uh, the roster now with the hope of building it up in the future. And that's all wonderful, but I mean, it's now on him to make those picks work. And of course, one of the things that's really put the Jets in the fix they're in now is that a consortium of general managers, you know, including Jeff Idzik, including McCannon, uh, including, you know, so far, uh, Douglas have picked one lemon after another and that stuff catches up with you. I mean, and it's, it's, it's not an exact science, but it's not an inexact one either. You look at teams like the Ravens and the Steelers and they're good year after year. And it's not because they pick up the best free agents every year. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have, they have figured out a way to help themselves stay good through the draft. Um, And it's not just to get lucky every year. I mean, there was a, there was a way to be successful. I mean, obviously, if everybody knew how to, what, the, what, the, what that formula was, then everybody would do it. But uh, it's elusive, but it's something that you have to hope when you pick a general manager that they'll figure out how to do. And, you know, for, for, for the Jets, uh, they have to believe that uh, Joe Douglas can, 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 can be that guy. I mean, he comes from a great background. 
Uh, he says all the right things. He had a press conference earlier this week where he took full responsibility for the Jets' woes, you know, really tried to take a lot of the blame away from Adam Gase, a lot of the blame away from Sam Darnold. And, uh, you know, I thought that was, a, that was an excellent first step, but that's great. Being accountable is, is wonderful, but you get one mea culpa usually in that job. Mm-hmm. And after that, you better deliver. And that's where Douglas is now. And obviously it's helpful that, you know, assuming that, we're, that he's building off 0-16, 1-15, you know, it's pretty easy to take that first step to five and 11 or six and 10. Mm-hmm. It's what happens after that. And that only becomes better if you start picking good players and then adding good players. Yeah, that is true. Um, moving on to the Giants, they have a first year head coach and Joe Judge. How would you grade Joe Judge at this point in the season? I think Judge is a terrific coach. I think what I've seen uh, through his first you know, three or four months on the job um, has been almost flawless, except for the fact that they're one in seven. Now that seems like a pretty big, oh, by the way. And look, the Giants have been in a lot of those games and they've blown a lot of those games in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. And in a general, usual circumstance, you probably give the coach a lion's share of the blame. And I think you can give Judge some of the blame and some of the things that have, that, that have happened that have allowed the Jet, the, the Giants, the Giants could easily be four and four, which would put them in first place in the NFC East, by the way. Uh, but they're not. They're one and seven, and they're very easily going to be zero and eight. Um, but I think when you look at what Judge does week to week, what he does game to game, the way his teams are prepared, there's nobody who can look at these games objectively and say that the Giants ever have a talent advantage. And it's not usually even close. It's usually a gap that's pretty wide. Uh, that could mean that the, that 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 they're viewing experience could be a lot similar to what the Jets are going through. The Jets are only a game worse than the Giants, but I think the fan viewing experience of those two teams is a lot different. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Jets fans just get beaten up because the Jets are getting beaten up. The Jets are never in games. The Jets have had exactly two leads all year in, in their games. I mean, it's, it, 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 it's, it's, it's beyond awful and woeful to watch. The Giants are in every game. The Giants have had leads in all but one of their games. They've had fourth quarter leads in the last three of their games. And why are they there? Because you look at the team and you look at what the, at the talent level. I mean, a lot of it is because they've all bought into the system that Judge and his staff have created. I think as important, they've bought into the environment and the atmosphere, the day-to-day, the in the locker room, the off-the-field stuff. Uh, Judge is a very demanding coach. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a part of the Belichick slash Saban mighty oak tree of coaching mm-hmm. branches and it shows and he's a demanding guy but he's also not an irrational guy uh and you can see that you can see the way the players respond to him look he's 38 years old first time coach in the league it's not easy to win over a locker room at that age with that level of experience and it's obvious that the giants locker room is behind their coach and that's a first important imperative step in terms of moving forward for anybody and so you have to give, give Judge credit for that. I mean, I think he's a very good coach right now. I think he's got the possibility and the potential to be a great coach. I think what he needs, obviously, like all coaches, is they need, he need an influx of talent. I think what that will require is a new general manager, because I don't think a lot of people have a lot of faith in Dave Gettleman. And then the question is, does the new general manager who comes in, is he a guy who sees Judge in the same way? Mm-hmm. And that's where the real, I think, you know, question around the Giants is. Now, I do think that, uh, if Gettleman is replaced, that the people who will do the replacing will make sure that he's a guy who is going to be compatible with Judge, 
Um, that'll be one of the requirements. It won't be the most important or uh, the only requirement, but I think it's going to be something because I do think that the uh, Giants ownership is very happy with Judge. I think they're still very happy and, and optimistic about Daniel Jones. And so those are things that are going to have to be figured in when they figure out who the GM is going to be, whether they stick with Gettleman or whether they go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one might be a tough question for you to answer, but uh, which team do you think will become a playoff team first, the Jets or the Giants? Right now, I don't see the Giants because I have to believe that Judge is going to be the guy in charge. And I believe that once he has a certain a level of talent, he'll be, able to, he'll be able to do better going forward, certainly playing in a more doable league. I mean, you know, we can, you know, the AFC East isn't necessarily a juggernaut, but first place in that league is still six and two. Mm-hmm. And second place is four and three. You know, it's a lot different than what the NFC East looks like now, where first place is still under 500. Mm-hmm. So you have to figure that in that, in, in that context, that if you can just improve a little bit and you know, have a couple of bounces go for you here and there, even if you're going to be in playoff contention at 8-8, eight eight, I think that means the Giants are in a better position to get to the playoffs. I also think that their talent uh, is better, and I think that, uh, that they're in position for that talent to be useful uh, even, at, even, even when they use the draft and when they use off-season maneuvering, uh, there's, there's still enough talent in place that's going to be there when the, when, you know, when the Giants get good. I think when you look at the Jets, a lot of the guys who are currently playing on Sundays, you're not going to see a lot of those guys when the Jets get good again. Mm-hmm. And that means you're talking about waiting another two or three years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is true. Uh, now moving on to a different sport, the New York Mets. Uh, the sale of Steve Cohen just was made official today. And you wrote in uh, a column about, uh, is this the renaissance the Mets fans are looking for? Do you think the Steve Cohen era in Mets baseball will be prosperous? All signs I mean, certainly point in that direction, Kenny, because look, he's the richest man in baseball. He's mm-hmm. richer than the next four owners combined. So that's going to be helpful. And I know that when, you know, Mets fans look at that. The first thing they think about is, you know, we can buy whatever free agent we want now. And that will be the case. I mean, they will certainly be competitive for whatever free agent they decide to go after. Um, but that's just one of the aspects of bringing in a guy with a level of Cohen's financial commitment, but also the fact that he's a Mets fan. Mm-hmm. So he wants to do well, not only because it's good for business, because it's good for him as somebody who just, you know, understands and appreciates being a baseball fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that financial commitment is going to go a lot deeper. I mean, it's going to mean that, for instance, you know, Mets fans aren't going to spend next year as they have in the past fretting over where Michael Conforto is going to spend the next year because, you know, they're, they're, there's always this fear that they're going to lose their best players elsewhere uh, because they because they won't uh, pay for them. So that's one thing that will, you know, certainly make the, the process better. But I think it goes even to more subtle and invisible and not obvious areas like uh, infrastructure and international scouting and uh, analytics. I mean, he is a, he's a guy who is, you know, he's, he's successful in his current line of work because he subscribes to all of those things mm-hmm. and is willing to financially commit to all of those things. And so uh, I think that there's a, I think there's a real sense of, of, uh, you know, a, a willingness to, to, to do what it takes to make those things stronger and better. Mm-hmm. So sticking with free agency for the Mets, how aggressive do you think they'll be in free agency? Uh, a column that you wrote, the 
you indicated that George Springer should be on the high list for the Mets right now. That's my opinion. I mean, I certainly, I know a lot of people really want JT Real Muto to be part of their plan. Mm-hmm. I'm a little less, I'm a little more cautious when it comes to throwing a lot of money at catchers, frankly, mm-hmm. um, just because, you know, one foul ball and, you know, and we, look, I mean, take it in reverse, you know, a lot of Mets fans are hurting now seeing what Travis Darno is doing for the Braves and what he did mm-hmm. for the, for the, uh, for the Rays last year. But he's a guy who spent a lot of his prime years at the Mets and was almost never available because he would just keep getting banged up. That's what catchers do. And when you're talking about a young catcher, you can almost live with it because they're not making a lot of money. When you're talking about a free agent catcher, he's going to command $200 million. And all of a sudden, if he's missing 40% of your games, you're going to be less inclined to be very zen about that. Um, and so it's a, you know, it, 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 it's really a question then, I think, of, you know, what are you willing to, to uh, put up with. And I think that that's what the Mets have to do in terms of determining who their uh, free agent target's going to be. Mm-hmm. So the, the Mets need a, a decent amount of weapons in the free agency season this year. Uh, the bullpen struggled a lot, but do you think Edwin Diaz can be the closer next year? Well, there's never any questioning his talent. I mean, you look at his, his numbers this year, his, uh, ERA plus was over 200, which tells you about just how dominant he can be. Now, I know if you, if you spew those facts to Mets fans, they're going to, you know, then go chapter and verse of all the times that he made them miserable with the various games he's blown uh, on his watch. So, I mean, obviously that makes it a little bit harder uh, to commit to him full, fully. But clearly when you, look at, when you look at him, if you could ever get into the kind of groove and the confidence where, um, you know, you're just not worried about every time he – He's going to you know, hang a slider. He's got just filthy stuff. And I think the Mets would be foolish to give up on that. I'm not saying you necessarily commit to him as a closer right now, but he's certainly a guy I think that has to be a part of your future, mostly because of what you gave up for him. I mean, look, mm-hmm. starting next year, Mets fans are going to be looking at box scores every morning to see what Jared Kellenick did out west in Seattle. And look, I mean, you know, you know Robbie Cano and, and, and Edwin Diaz are the two guys who are the, you know, who are left here. Um, after that trade. And so that's going to be something that I think that, you know, the Mets are still going to want to try and, and get a, and, and get a, and get a, uh, a payoff on that, uh, on that commitment, on that, on, that, on that trade rather. And Diaz is going to go a long way toward making sure that that's a, you know, that, that, that that's something that they can, that they can live with. Mm-hmm. So do you think, uh, what do you think the Mets are going to do with Ahmed Rosario with the rise of Andres Jimenez in the past season? Well, I think one of those two has become certainly a viable trade bait, mm-hmm. especially if Francisco Lindor is as available as we think he is. And, you know, if, if, if the Mets can turn one of those two plus a package into Lindor, then I think that, uh, that uh, they'll be in a, in, in, in a great spot. I think both of those guys could play second base if, if, needed to, if, if needed. I think both of those guys could be, um, you know, useful parts of the Mets' future. If that's, if that's the way they need to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimenez is a guy that uh, other teams crave because of his high IQ, his high baseball IQ, and the fact that he just is, he, 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 make, he, makes, he makes winning plays and he plays terrific defense. And those are all things that I think, uh, you know, are, 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 are incredibly important and I think aren't lost on the people who are going to be running the Mets, including, you know, most importantly, Sandy Alderson. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you, Last year, Pete Alonso underperformed uh, tremendously. 
uh, from the year from his rookie season, the home run leader in his rookie season. Are you concerned with his play last year? Well, I think you have to be concerned when you look at what, what the drop off was. But also, I mean, look, I think any I think it's hard to take anything you saw in a 60 game season as career defining in any way, whether you're whether you're evaluating the manager, whether you're evaluating a player and that's for the good or for the bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's telling that, you know, when, 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 when this whole crazy season shook out, you're the number one seed in the National League and the number one seed in the American League playing in the World Series. And you don't usually get that. But I think in this season, that totally makes sense because you had to find yourself quickly and you had to figure out how to do things on the fly. And when you think about what 60 games is in the, in the course of a usual season, that gets you to about June 1st, mm-hmm. usually. And, uh, you know, everything about the season is, 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 was, 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 was unique and different. And I think that's what, uh, I think that's what uh, you know, you have to look at when you, in, in terms of evaluating both Alonzo and just about anybody else in baseball, frankly. Mm-hmm. So hopefully the, hopefully the Mets can uh, make a playoff push next year. But don't forget to check out Mike's three books, Emperors and Idiots, The Red Sox and Yankees Rivalry, 1941, The Greatest Year in Sports, and the first fall classic, the 1912 World Series. It would make a great Christmas gift available on Amazon. Thank you, Mike, for joining the seller. I had a great time. Same here, Kenny. Thanks so much. Good luck, and uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon. Of course. Go Bonas. All right, you got it, my man. I had a great time with Mike. Hopefully he could join us in the, in the future. Go Bonnies. And now we'll move on to our next topic and it is the NCAA three picks. And we'll start off with our recap of last week. I went two and one. I'm pretty sure GMAC went one and two. You went two and one. Yep. I lost. I lost. Let's let's recap them so I can make sure you really went two and one. Sometimes you miscount. Yeah, okay. So we'll start with the SEC game, and it was LSU versus Auburn. Oh, uh, we t- both picked LSU, and Auburn won in a blowout, like a blowout game. It was not close, like, to begin with. Yeah, because LSU LSU was favored by two, and, and I did predict uh, LSU over Auburn, you know, and I, I predicted a high-scoring affair, but only one team got the memo that it was supposed to be a high scoring affair. I, I, my prediction was LSU would win this game 47, 41. You know, I couldn't have been more wrong. K dog with yeah. this pick as Auburn destroyed LSU 48 to 11. Yeah, it you was, know? I like, I, I picked, I picked LSU because Auburn's offense is usually horrible with Bo Nix at the helm. But last week, he just went off. He had 300 yards, 18 for 24, three touchdowns. That's good for a 221 QB passer rating. It was just insane. Yeah, that's why I that's why I picked LSU because Bo Nix has been inconsistent. He was just incredible against the LSU uh, defense. You know, LSU gave up over 300 yards rushing. Yep. And uh, LSD, LSU's defense is poor. They gave up 500 yards total offense. You know, the freshman TJ Finley came back down to earth after a good game last week, throwing two INTs before being relieved. For LSU, the season is over at two and three. 
Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and they're they're going falling deeper in the standings while Auburn moves to four and two, giving them the chance to come out of the West and moving into the top 25. So big win for Auburn. You know, LSU really now is just playing out the string because I, I don't know what kind of bowl they can get into. Yeah, it's it's looking really bad for my Tigers. We'll see. We'll see if they could try and get in. They, they might not even get into a bowl game this year. <laughs> no, not, they got to at least be 500, and they're well on their way to not being 500. So Yeah, that is true. For next game, we had the Virginia Tech-Louisville game, and I got this one right. I picked VTech to win to beat the Cardinals. Did you I, pick you picked yeah, Virginia Tech? Yeah, you piece? said yeah, because last week you were like, Oh, sorry to our relatives that are fans of V Tech, but I gotta go Cardinals. And that's the, right. You you picked Anther Sandman. Yeah, yeah, Virginia Virginia Tech made the relatives proud as they won by a touchdown. And I believe they were favored by four points, so they covered the spread as well. Uh yeah. Well, I, I predicted Louisville would win 35-31. And the actual score was 42-35. So I got Louisville's points exactly correct. I just didn't get Virginia Tech's points uh, correct. But I lost this game. You know, and, and K-Dog, I said the key to the game would be turnovers because Virginia Tech is undefeated when it turns the – when it wins the turnover battle, mm -hmm. and they did against Louisville. Virginia Tech was plus three for the game. Louisville's QB Cunningham had three INTs. And the Hokies didn't turn over the ball at all. So that's, you know, that's why they won. When they don't, when they uh, win the turnover advantage, they win games. When they lose the turnover advantage, they lose games. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Louisville had almost 100 more, 100 more total yards um, than Virginia Tech, and the turnovers did them in. Uh, Louisville couldn't stop the vaunted Virginia Tech rushing offense. And the Hokies put up 283 yards rushing, which should uh, move them up in the nation's rushing stats. Virginia Tech also had three sacks and, uh, you know, continue to get pressure on the opposing QB. Hokies moved to four and two and are tied for fourth in the ACC, while Louisville is at two and five and third from the bottom in the ACC. Virginia Tech is in a position for a major bowl at this point, K Dog. Mm -hmm. Yep. That is but true. I, I, I lost that one also. So I'm 0 and 2 so far. Yep. You were 0 and 2. Uh, the nightcap, I believe we had the same game. We had the same team winning. It was the Big Ten game. Number three, Ohio State at number 18, Penn State. Ohio State won by 13 points, covering the spread as well. They were 10 and a half point favorites. They had a huge game offensively, especially from Heisman candidate Justin Fields. He's showing why he might be a top five pick for a quarterback this year. No, 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 no. If, if, if the NFL hasn't learned that you stay away from Ohio State quarterbacks, I don't know when they'll learn. Well, yeah, that is true. But, I mean, yeah. he, he, he really went off 28 for 34, 318 yards and four touchdowns. On the other side for Penn State, Sean Clifford also had 18 for 30, 281 with three touchdowns and one INT. Yeah, well, just going back to the uh, Ohio State quarterback situation, 
you know, the, the quarterbacks that come out of Ohio State seem to never pan out in the NFL. Yeah, that is, well, yeah, Dwayne Haskins is the latest experiment uh, going wrong. Right, right, and Cardell Jones, and the list goes on Braxton and on. Miller, Terrell you know, Pryor. Yeah. Ohio State is not a quarterback factory. So, you know, Justin Fields, two, you know, two games, uh, you know, we'll see. But um, I wouldn't go – I wouldn't go near him in the draft. That's for certain. So, yeah, I got this game right. I predicted uh, my prediction was Ohio State 35, Penn State 14. The actual score was 38-25. So I was somewhat close with Ohio State's numbers. Uh, Penn State scored a little bit more than I expected. Um, you know, the game was closer than I expected, to be honest, K-Dog. Mm-hmm. Penn State put up more points than I thought they would. I expected the Penn State D to keep it close and that Ohio State would wear them down, which kind of happened. But uh, as you stated, Justin Fields threw for 318 yards, four TDs. And as you correctly stated, that puts them square in the middle of the Heisman talk. Um, Ohio State ran for over 200 yards, led by Master Teague. Uh, Penn State couldn't exploit the Buckeyes rushing D that had given up 210 yards to Nebraska, which I didn't think they could, but um, Penn State only rushed for 44 yards. Clifford was pretty good, and Jahan Dotson was excellent, making some incredible catches. I mean, he made he made that great one-handed grab in the game, and it was just a, a tremendous catch. Yeah. You know, and Ohio State is far and away the class of the Big Ten, which, you know, the Big Ten looks weak this year. Oh, it looks horrible. You know, and, and the season the season looks to be over for Penn State at 0-2. You know, I, I can't see them in any major bowl contention in a short season coming out of the Big Ten. So, you know, I finished uh, one and two this week, right? One and two this week. But the good news, K-Dog, is it's a new week and I'm undefeated. So what do we have this week? Well, before we go to uh, next week, I just wanted to – an honorable mention. We, I don't believe we picked game of the week last week for the Big Ten. I think game of the week was Minnesota versus Maryland. If you watch that, it was no, Mar- Ma- Maryland won 45 44 in overtime. So I just wanted to give that an honorable mention. Off All right. Missed extra point by Minnesota to win in overtime. Uh, fear the turtle. Yeah. All right. So now we'll move on to this week's picks. And, and we will to, to to his brother is at the helm. Yeah, for, uh, yeah, Talia. Yeah, Talia Tagovailoa. Two of the turtle. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so we'll start off with next week's picks, and we will go with the SEC first. This is a huge matchup: eight versus five, Florida versus Georgia. And I'm gonna go with at Florida at plus three. I picked Florida to win the East. And this was the matchup that the division has been talking about all season. I'm taking Florida once again. You, Kyle, you picked Florida to win the yes, East? Yes, yes, okay. I picked Florida to win the East. I'm going to have to roll that tape back. I'm taking Florida this time. Kyle Trask at QB has been amazing, and I don't think it stops here. Florida wins by a touchdown to seven, seven to ten points. Yeah, Kyle Trask is a good uh... – QB, no doubt. I saw I saw a stat uh, the other day that he has uh, coming into this game. He has two more touchdowns than Joe Burrow did last year at this point. Really? Yeah, which is interesting. Wow. 
And, and what's interesting is um, he, he never started in a high school game. He was apparently the quarter, the second string quarterback behind the uh, University of Miami's Derek King. Imagine having those two guys on your team as quarterbacks. <laughs> no, that, that's just Probably. insane. That's insane. But they were they were on the same high school team. Derek King was the starter and uh, Trask was the backup. Yeah, that's crazy. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Imagine that. So, you know, this is the battle for the SEC East three and one Gators versus four and one Bulldogs. You know, this game is known as the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Did you know that, K-Dog? Yeah, I knew that. Yeah, world's largest outdoor cocktail party. You know, next year we'll get press passes for that game so we can be on the sidelines in Jacksonville. But anyway, you know, this is an excellent game. You know, most likely the winner wins the division and is a leading contender for the uh, playoff, the championship playoff. Georgia have, you know, handily beat Arkansas, Auburn, and Tennessee, only losing to Bama, beating Kentucky last week, 14 to three. Georgia's D is considered one of the best in college football, but is struggling on, on the offense, offensive side of the ball. Florida beat Ole Miss, South Carolina, and Mizzou, losing to AM on the road when Dan Mullen whined about the advantage A&M had with fans in the stands. Remember when he was whining about mm -hmm. that? And then uh, Georgia QB Stetson Bennett has been inconsistent and he'll need a strong running game. Uh, and Bennett's going to have to manage the football. Stetson had thrown five INT has thrown five INTs. Uh, Georgia gets George Pickens back which will help Stetson in the passing game. Florida's pass defense is eighth in the SEC, so Georgia might be able to exploit this. The Gators have the advantage at QB with Kyle Trask, who has been one of the best QBs in college football. He's got eight going into this game, eight TDs and only two INTs. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's just – Yeah, that's what unbelievable. A, what, a, what a ratio. However, Georgia ranks first in pass D – in the SEC uh, with the fewest points allowed and um, leading the league in sacks. Georgia has won the last three. It's the Georgia D versus the Gator O. I like D over O, so I'm picking the Bulldogs to win oh, their fourth man. in a row over the Gators. Dogs 24, Gators 20. Our fan base in Athens will be partying today at the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I, it's going to be a good game. That's all I know. I expect it to be a good game, no doubt. Yep. You know, and the, and the winner sets themselves up to play, uh, to lose to Bama. Yeah, <laughs> that's always what happens in the East. That's, uh, yeah, that's what happens in the East. Yeah, yeah so now that we're done with the SEC, we'll move on to our Big Ten game of the week. And it is 23 Michigan taking on 13 Indiana. And I'm going to go with Indiana at plus four. Harbaugh and company are frauds in Ann Arbor. They lost to their rivals at Michigan State last week and lost the spread in that game. Indiana comes off a win against Rutgers. And the week before that, a huge win against Penn State. Indiana beats the Wolverines by a touchdown. 
Wow, Indiana! You're picking Indiana. You're jumping on the Indiana bandwagon. Yep. Wow. Well, 23 Michigan at 13 Indiana. For a moment there, I was I thought I was looking at basketball rankings and not football. Yeah, that, that is true. <laughs> I, you know, I was trying to uh, research when the last time University of Indiana was in the top 25 in football, and I, I couldn't find anything. But it had to be a long time ago, right? Yeah. So you know, last week Michigan was a 25 point favorite losing to in-state rival Michigan State 27-24. You know, Jim Harbaugh, once again, doesn't win a rivalry game. And and, and hopefully when he gets fired this year, the Jets don't pick him up uh, as their uh, head coach. But, you know, at least he didn't wait until the last game of the year to lose to Ohio State for their first, first loss, you know, which is what they typically do. You know, that, that game will be at least their second loss. Um, the Michigan D looked shaky last week, giving up 196 yards to freshman wide receiver Ricky White. The Michigan offense was fairly good, racking up 100, uh, 452 yards. Michigan comes in at 1-1. One and one. IU is 2-0 and oh coming into this game, coming off an impressive 37-21 win at Rutgers, who beat Michigan State handily the week before, so... You know, IU beat Michigan State. Michigan loses to Sparty. Uh, Indiana only has 300 had only had 372 total yards, but Rutgers turned the ball over three times, which cost them their game. Moving to this game, Indiana has lost 24 straight games against Michigan, last winning in 1987. Coach Tom Allen has Indiana going in the right direction building off a successful 2019 season and off to their first 2-0 Big Ten start since 1991. Michigan has the 22nd ranked rushing uh, defense facing a solid IU, uh, I'm sorry, they have a 22nd ranked rushing uh, running game that is Michigan and they're facing a solid IUD ranking second in in the Big Ten in INTs, third in sacks and uh, INTs. So Michigan's D is capable, albeit inconsistent. IU can't run the ball and are at the bottom of college football in total yards. IU will attack Michigan's D through the air to have the same success as Michigan State did last week. Uh, This is a big game for both teams. IU wins and they get credibility. Michigan must win or they're done with two losses uh, because a third will be on the way when they play Ohio State. I'm not really confident in this pick, K-Dog, but I'm going with Michigan to win this game 27-20, rebounding from last week's loss. And and IU loses its 25th consecutive game to Michigan so I'm picking Michigan I'm not confident in the pick 27 20 IU waits another year to beat Michigan wow all right so we're we're different on both games so far (laughs) yeah we're different on both games well we'll see what happens in the next game it's the it's definitely game of the week this one it's the ACC matchup it's number one Clemson versus number four Notre Dame this and is this is the game of the week. This is game of the week. And we are I'm going to pick 
Clemson at minus five and a half. I'm going with the defending ACC champs here. Um, oh, you're picking the Tiger King, huh? Yep. Even without Trevor Lawrence, this team is still the best team in the country, I believe, especially with their with the quarterback, their backup quarterback at the helm, DJ. I'm not gonna pronounce his last name, but he is he's he was the number one prospect coming out of uh, high school. And so it's a it's a number one backing up a number one. I think they're still the best team in the country. They won the game last week, but lost the spread to BC. This week they win the spread and the game. Tigers win by a touchdown. Wow. Okay. Well, we got seven and zero Clemson for six and zero Notre Dame. The battle for the top spot in the ACC and position for the playoffs. Remember, independent Notre Dame is a member of the ACC this year. Mm-hmm. Clemson has a convincing win over number seven, Miami, 42-17. Notre Dame comes into the game undefeated, but hasn't played any big competition or a ranked team yet this year. It's well documented that Clemson will be without Trevor Lawrence with freshman DJ Ugialale, who led Clemson for, for a comeback from behind win versus BC. I'm not going to compare Clemson's offensive stats because it's not relevant since Trevor isn't playing. Let's focus on the D that's ranked in the top 10 in the FBS, mm-hmm. first in and first in the ACC. However, on offense, the Tigers rushing isn't living up to expectations with ETN ranked 61st in the FBS and 10th in the ACC. Notre Dame's strength is rushing the football. They're ranked 12th in the FBS, averaging 231 yards per game. However, the passing only ranks 78th in the FBS. ND's defense is solid, ranking fifth in points allowed per game. Stats indicate that this will be a very competitive game, especially without Trevor Lawrence. However, I see this Irish team like many prior Irish teams that have excellent records because they played nobody and get beat badly when they meet good competition. I expect this to happen again when they play Clemson. I think the Clemson D will stack the box and force ND to pass. This pressure, this will pressure Book, who will turn the ball over. I think ETN gets on track and Ugale will play well also. All this amounts to trouble for ND in South Bend. I'm predicting Clemson will beat ND 27-17 and show ND that they are the Tiger King. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think Clemson tops it off and beats the beats the game of the week. One one Clemson versus four Notre Dame. I believe it's gonna be on NBC. Uh since yep, I, I agree with you, even without future New York Jet Trevor Lawrence, yes. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll come out with the win. They'll come out with the win. Now that we're done with the NCAA, we'll move on to our NFL three-game picks. And we'll start okay. with last week's picks. And uh, I guess we'll start off with the 1 o'clock game. It was an AFC North matchup. The Pittsburgh Steelers versus the Baltimore Ravens. And the Steelers won... 28 to 24 
on a fourth quarter touchdown by Chase Claypool, the up and comer, the second rounder out of, I believe it's Notre, I didn't believe he was out of Notre, Notre Dame. So Ben Roethlisberger had a decent game, 21 for 32, 182 yards and two touchdowns. It shows that when Lamar is playing in big games, he usually doesn't perform that well. 13 for 28, 208 yards, two touchdowns and two INTs. The story of this game for me was the running back, J.K. Dobbins, the rookie, 15 carries, 113 yards for a 7.5 average run run per carry. That's like insane. But both, who, who, did you, who did you pick? I picked I picked Pittsburgh to win. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, they were minus four favorites. I picked them to win. So, yeah, I picked the Steelers also to win the game. My prediction was 24-14. Steelers win 28-24. So I got this game correct. Predicted the Steelers to win outright. Uh, this was an excellent game coming down to the wire with the Ravens having a shot to win the game at the end. I thought this would be a defensive struggle with Steelers trying to force Lamar Jackson to throw the ball. Well, the Ravens D was better than Steelers only giving up 221 total yards while generating 457 yards themselves. The reason they lost the game was because they had four turnovers, including an interception return for a TD. They also allowed four sacks and had 110 penalty yards, you know, so that's why the Ravens lost. Mm -hmm. I expected the game would come down to turnovers and it did. Lamar Jackson ran well, but didn't pass well again, 13 for 28, 208 yards, two TDs and two INTs. Not great. And that was the difference in the game. You know, big Ben managed the football better than Lamar Jackson. Yeah, that is true. Um, Steelers won that game. We're, we were one one and zero on both of the. You picked Steelers, correct? I did pick the Steelers. That's yeah. I picked the Steelers. Yep. Uh, so we'll move to the four twenty five game, and it was the San Francisco 49ers versus the Seattle Seahawks. And for this one, I picked the 49ers, but the Seahawks won by a score of thirty seven to twenty seven. This game, for the most part, was not even close. Seahawks were under control basically the entire game until San Francisco tried to make a comeback in the fourth quarter with three touchdowns in the fourth quarter, but they could not finish it off. Nick Mullins was 18 for 25, 238 yards and two touchdowns. Russell Wilson had an amazing game as well, 27 for 37, 261 and four touchdowns. Yeah, I, you know, I uh, I picked the Niners to win this game outright. I said they were going to win 31-21. You know, I wasn't close with this prediction. The 49ers have been like a Jekyll and Hyde type team, hard to figure out. Seahawks win 37-27. Uh, Seahawks had this game in hand after three with a 27-7 lead. Niners scored 20 points in the fourth quarter to make it close. Stats were close, close, both with similar total yards and passing yards. The difference was San Fran had two turnovers. Seattle didn't have any turnovers. Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt, but was playing poorly anyway before he got hurt. Mullins came in, had two TDs, piled up 238 yards passing. 
I think San Francisco will be better with, with Mullins uh, over Garoppolo, uh, but he came in too late into the game. Russ was excellent again with four TDs. I mean, he's well on his way to being the MVP, I think, mm-hmm. this year, unless he gets injured or something, um, because he's been incredible. Unfortunately, I think, you know, the Seahawks will come up short in the playoffs because their defense is just bad. Um, so I got that game wrong. So I was, you know, so, so far I'm one and one mm-hmm. for the week. Our last game is the 820 game, and it was the NFC matchup that we were all looking forward to so happily. It was the Dallas Cowboys versus the Philadelphia Eagles. And I don't know what I was doing thinking of uh, picking Dallas to win the spread. But the Eagles did win. I picked that correctly, but they did not win the spread. So I lost that game and went one and two. The Eagles won 23 to nine. Ben DiNucci, the backup from JMU, James Madison. It was the battle of the FCS quarterbacks as Carson Wentz went to NDSU. Ben DiNucci did not show out at all. 180 yards, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions. Carson Wentz also did not have a good game with 123 yards, two touchdowns, and two interceptions. The story was the running game for the Eagles as Boston Scott had 70 yards on 15 carries. That's good for 4.7 yards a carry. The It was just – it was it was not a fun game to watch, but, uh, yep, the Eagles won it. I don't know why I picked Dallas to cover the spread. They didn't, and then the Eagles won, moving into first place in the NFC East. Yeah, I, I don't know why I picked Dallas either. I did not pick Dallas. I predicted the Eagles would win and cover the line, and they did. Mm-hmm. I predicted the Eagles would win 27 to seven and they won 23 to nine. So I was in the ballpark close game at the half. Dallas was winning nine, seven. I figured that I was in trouble with this pick, but Philly shut out the woeful Cowboys. As you stated with Ben DiNucci from James Madison at the helm, Dallas D was pretty good this week, but the Cowboys offense was bad. I mean, Ezekiel Elliott, 63 yards rush, uh, rushing 3.3 yards per carry. I mean, in my opinion, Ezekiel Elliott is showing he can't carry a team. Let's stop comparing the Emmett Smith. It's not even close. They're not even in the same class, mm-hmm. you know, for the Eagles, Carson Wentz wasn't any good. you know, again, and people have to stop saying that Carson Wentz is an elite quarterback because I, I just don't see it. I he mean, had one good year. Yeah. And uh, he, he hasn't done anything to deserve that kind of praise. And, and he's fortunate that Ben DiNucci was on the other side la- uh, last week. Otherwise, they probably would have lost because he, he didn't play well either. You know, Dallas has problems. They won't win with DiNucci uh, because Elliott isn't putting up, picking up the slack, you know. Elliot's not eating any soup, and I think he should just go and hide in the Salvation Army pot and not come out. <laughs> uh, neither team is any good, but it looks like Eagles will win the division. So, K Dog, I finished the week, uh, what, two and one or one and two? Yeah, you were two and one. I was one and two. Yeah, yeah. I finished the win two and one. I beat you out this week. Again. You know, I'm like the, I'm the king of Sunday night picks. Um, so, 
I was two and one, you were one and two. Uh, I, I improved to 11 and 13 on the season. K-Dog, I'm still a lonesome loser, mm -hmm. but I still keep on trying. The good news is it's a new week and I'm undefeated so far this week. So K-Dog, what do we have this week? Uh, this week, we will start with the one o'clock game. It's a really good game too. It's the Seattle Seahawks versus the Buffalo Bills. And I'm going with Bills at plus three. The Bills, Bills. Didn't, wow. the Bills didn't look good in their win against the Jets, but a win's a win. Russell Wilson and the Hawks travel to Buffalo to take on Josh Allen and company. Josh Allen will have a field day against the terrible Seahawks defense. And Jamal Adams is back in the lineup. So oh, we'll, we'll see if thanks. he changes it. Let's we'll see if he changes things up. But yeah, thank thank goodness the savior Jamal <laughs> Adams is back in the lineup. The terrible Seahawks defense get their their star player in Jamal Adams back, but I think the Bills take this one. The Bills win by 10 points. Whoa, that's bold pick. Bold pick. So the Seahawks six and one visit the six and two Buffalo Bills as a three-point road favorite. Battle of NFC West versus the AFC East leaders. Seattle's coming off a bounce back win over San Fran, although the game wasn't as close as the score would indicate with San Fran scoring late to make it close. The offense keeps on rolling with Russ Wilson through four TDs, two of those the DK Metcalf, who went for 161 yards rushing. Meanwhile, the Bills are coming off a 24-21 win over the Pats. A game they could have easily lost if Cam Newton didn't fumble deep in Buffalo territory with the Bills, yep. D, Bills D on its heels. Buffalo rushed for 190 yards in the game, which is a season high. Josh Allen was okay. He went 11 for 18, passing 154 yards. So moving to this game, Seattle comes into this game in, in a – an offensive juggernaut, first in points scored, third in total yards and passing and 12th in rush yards. The rushing game is Seattle's weakness, having to rely on a rookie QB, delayed Dallas due to injuries to Carson and Hyde, who are both questionable. Buffalo can't run the ball despite last week's season high. Buffalo's strength is through the air with Diggs and John Brown. Buffalo is currently 10th in passing and 13th in total yards. This makes for an intriguing matchup. Seahawks D is weak, ranking 32nd in total yards and passing yards uh, and 24th in points allowed. This plays into Buffalo's strength. Although Seattle's D gets Jamal Adams back, but the D was bad with them as well. They also have Carlos Dunlop in the lineup after a trade with the Bengals. And Snacks Harrison uh, is on the roster now. I'm not sure if he's going to be playing because he's not in game shape or may not be in game shape by the time they play the game. Uh, Buffalo's D is slightly better, strong against the pass, weak against the run, but Seattle doesn't run the ball all that well. Big disparity in turnover margin. Seattle's plus seven in, in turnover margin. Buffalo's minus one. You can't win when you turn over the ball. This is a tough game to pick, K-Dog. Tough game to pick. Buffalo hasn't looked convincing lately. 
And Seattle's win against San Francisco Cisco doesn't look that strong after the Packers beat them handily. Mm -hmm. So what am I going to do? I'm going to pick the Seahawks to beat the Bills <laughs> and cover the line. The oh. difference will be Russ Wilson in this game. He'll make less mistakes than Josh Allen to give Seattle another victory. Seattle 31, Buffalo 17. And it's not because Jamal Adams is returning. That's for sure. Yeah, oh, that's an interesting pick. So we're already different than one game already. The one o'clock. We're different. Uh, you're just picking that because you know you're up in the Buffalo area, and I think you're starting to drink the Kool Aid. Yeah, they've convinced me. Yeah. <laughs> they've convinced me. But we'll move on to the 4:25 game or the 4:05 game. I'm. I think it's a 4:05. It's the AFC West matchup of the Las Vegas Raiders and the LA Chargers. I'm gonna go with the Chargers at plus one. This is going to be a great game. You're picking the Chargers at Chargers plus, plus one. one. Huh? Yeah, Chargers plus one. I think it's going to be a great game against the AFC West foes. And this will be a great great game for years to come, I believe, as well. The Chargers got their guy in Herbert at QB, and he has been playing extremely well. The Bolts choked last week, but the Raiders just squeaked out a win against the overrated Browns. I think this week the Chargers take care of business and they win by a touchdown. Wow, that's a bold pick. Mm -hmm. So the Battle of L.A., well, don't know if these teams change their homes. You know, these teams change their home cities like we change our clothes. But uh, mm -hmm. anyway, this is an interesting matchup with one of the best young QBs, Justin Herbert the rookie out of Oregon. The Chargers are in last place in the West, but could be much better if they didn't have Atlanta Falcons syndrome losing big leads. Chargers have blown 16-point leads in the last four games, including last week's last-second loss to Denver. Meanwhile, Vegas comes in off a big road victory, 16-6 over the Brownies with Josh Jacobs rushing for a season-high 120 yard, 28 yards on 31 carries. Looking at this game, K-Dog, L.A. has a slight offense, off, offensive advantage over the Raiders with Herbert at QB, who, who is first in the AFC, averaging 303 yards per game and has thrown three-plus touchdowns in his last four games. K-Dog. He's the only QB in NFL history to pass for 1,500 yards and 15 TDs in his first six games. Mm. I don't, that's, think, that's, Sam, yeah, that's I don't think Sam Darnold has done that in his first three years. No, <laughs> no, definitely no. <laughs> you know, I mean, so, but we're still waiting. We still think he's going to be the franchise. So anyhow, um, you know, this could spell trouble for Vegas, who ranks 25th in passing yards allowed, K-Dog, although the Chargers aren't much better at 21. And I expect the Chargers not to have Bosa and Pope this week due to concussions. This will hurt their pass rush and ability to stop the pass. Both teams turn the ball over at a high rate. This game will come down to who, who manages the ball better. Although I like Justin Herbert, I just don't think L.A. has learned how to close on a game, and I think Vegas can win close games. As a result, K-Dog, I'm picking Vegas 
Vegas to win this game, oh, or maybe they're maybe they're the Oakland Raiders, maybe they're the LA Raiders. I don't know. They're the Raiders. I'm picking the Raiders to win this game, 27-24. Raiders move up the division ranks while the Chargers uh, future is bright, but they're probably a year away. Wow, so already different on two games. Different we'll on two games. We'll see what happens in the eight twenty game, and it's well, uh, we're usually always different on the Sunday night matchup yeah. too. So we'll see what what you got. It's an NFC South matchup. Uh, great game. This is, this is the game of the game week. Of the week. I think. Game of the week. Yeah, it has to be the five and two. The five and two Saints host the six and two Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the in the Superdome down in in uh, Louisiana. So I'm going to pick the Bucks at minus three and a half. You're I took in the Bucks. Yeah, I took the Saints week one and they won. The Buccaneers have been playing like a Super Bowl team the past few weeks. So why bet against them? Tampa Bay has looked like he hasn't aged a day. And the addition of Antonio Brown gives him another weapon this week. The Saints have had tr- They have been a great team as well without Michael Thomas. But I think the Bucks defense will give them trouble, led by Devin White, ex-LSU alum. The Bucks, wow. the Bucks just escaped with a win last week against the Giants, but they will get it done here this week. Bucks win by a late TD. Wow. So you're jumping on the Tampa Bay bandwagon. Huh? Yep. So we got the Saints at five and two, the Bucks at five and two big Sunday night matchup with first place in the NFC South at stake Brady's Buccaneers versus Breeze and the Saints the Q2 the two QBs going back and forth as NFL touchdown leaders these two teams met as you stated K-Dog opening week with the Saints winning 34-23 in New Orleans the Saints come into this this game off an overtime win against the Chicago Bears. The Saints offense is struggling, and it's not known at the time whether Michael Thomas will be in the lineup, although they say he, he will be. I'm not sure what's going on with Thomas and the Saints, but there has been a lot of drama with Thomas this year, who was injured in the first game and had some and was also suspended for you know, some conduct detrimental to the team. So I'm not sure what's going on with him this year. Against uh, the Saints, D gave up 10 points to a weak Bears O in the final four minutes of the game to force OT. Meanwhile, the Bucks squeaked out a win against the 1-7 Giants at Jet Life on Monday night. Bucks trailed early, but mustered up enough offense in the second half and didn't turn the ball over, which gave the, them the victory. Turning to this game, K-Dog, the difference in the first meeting between these two teams was the turnovers. Tom Brady threw two INTs with one being returned for a touchdown. Since game one, the Bucks have moved to a plus six in turnover margin, winning the turnover battle each week. Statistically, both offenses are similar, except with the run game, with the Bucks ranked 23rd in rushing, while the Saints are 14 in rushing. I give the Bucks the QB advantage with Brady over Breeze, especially if Brady uh, Breeze's shoulder is banged up, who has trouble throwing deep anyway. 
TB12 gets his buddy Antonio Brown back. Personally, I don't like the addition. Brown is an un, is unbalanced, selfish malcontent, and Tampa has good enough receivers not to create this circus, but they have. We'll see how that helps or hinders K Dog. Saints D is 23rd in points allowed and 17th in pass yardage allowed. This plays to Tampa's strength, who ranks eighth in passing yards. The Bucks D is very good, ranking third in yards allowed, first in rushing yards allowed, and seventh in points allowed, and 14th in pass yards allowed. I don't expect the Saints to be able to run the ball well against uh, the Tampa D, putting pressure on the passing game and breeze. I don't think the banged up breeze will be able to make up the difference in this game. As a result, I'm looking for Brady's Buccaneers to make a statement in prime time, mm -hmm. beating the Saints 28-17. Wow. So the one o'clock game and the four o'clock game, we have different. Finally, a Sunday game, we have the same. <laughs> Yeah, I don't like that. I like this. The I like having the yeah the Sunday night to be the game. decider. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So you know, I, I'm sure Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick still wish they had Tampa Bay instead of Cam Newton at this point. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. So we'll see what happens in these games. Since we're done with the NCAA and NFL three game picks, we'll move to our Jets and Giants preview and rewind. So we'll start with the Jets. And the Jets played the Chiefs, and I'm guessing this is how exactly we, we planned it would go. The Jets just sucked again. Three field goals, that's it. Three total field goals for the game. They lost 35-9. to nine. It was just – it was bad from the start. McCole Hardman started off the game with a 30-yard passing touchdown, then Tyreek Hill, then Travis Kelsey, then Robinson, and then Hill again in the fourth quarter, an absolute moonshot pass from Patrick Mahomes. Sam Darnold had a terrible game, 18 for 30, 133 yards. That's good for a 70.6 passer rating. Patrick Mahomes, on the other hand, 31 for 42, 416 yards and five touchdowns. That's just unreal. And then the Jets, once again, give 10 carries to Frank Gore. I don't understand anymore. They should be trying uh, LaMichael Perrine out, but they're trying Frank Gore, 10, 10 more carries. It's ridiculous. It's just I, – I, I don't have the words for it anymore. Denzel Mims, on the other hand, had two receptions and 42 yards, which is decent. So he had most of – Darnold's yards to be honest which is crazy <laughs> crazy to say that but yeah the Jets look lost 0-8 and they look poised to go 0-16 yeah well you know th th this uh, this is what we expected out of this game you know uh, I, I picked the Jets to lose and not cover the spread you know they only lost to the Chiefs 35-9 I, I thought they were going to lose 55-10 that was my prediction you know, I was close with the Jets points, but overstated the KC points. Nevertheless, I predicted the Jets wouldn't cover the spread. The Jets were somewhat competitive, though, K-Dog. They, yeah. they were only losing 21-9 at the half. You know, yeah, it was, it was close in the first half. You know, typically they're losing 21-0 at the half. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, 
Uh, they couldn't score in the second half, which, you know, has been a trend. I mean, the, the Jets have scored in the second half only one time in their last four games. One time they've scored in the second half in the last four games. Yeah. And, you know, regardless of who is calling the plays, right, because they said hey, Gase isn't calling the plays anymore, it seems the Jets can't score after the first scripted set of plays which means the coaches are incapable of making adjustments. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, 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 they always seem to at least have a decent drive first or second drive of the game. And, but you know, after that, they, they just can't do anything. Um, you know, it, it's, um, it, it's weird to think the jets were competitive losing by more than three TDs, but you know, that's more of a testament of how poorly the jets have played statistically. They've, they gave up almost 500 total yards and almost 450 yards through the air. Uh, meanwhile, the Jets had 221 total yards, 128 yards passing. Sam Darnold played poorly, going 18 for 30 with 133 passing yards and no TDs. You talked about Mims. He looks pretty good. You know, mm -hmm. two catches for 42 yards. You know, K-Dog. Chris Herndon is not any good. I, I don't know why. Uh, I don't know why people. Rid, time to get rid of him. Yeah, I don't know why people thought he was good. But they he, should go after. Uh, they should go after the 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 kid from uh, Florida, Pitts. At tight end. Oh yeah, yeah. He, he looked. He looks pretty good. But Herndon, you know, I don't know what's wrong with that guy. He's had off field problems. He's hurt. I, I don't know what the deal is with him. But we got to move on from him. You know, the only bright spot for the Jets was the kicking game with Sergio Castillo yep. kicking three of four, including a 55-yarder. And the punter, Braden Mann, MVP. averaging over 45 yards per punt. So, you know, maybe the Jets have a kicking game going forward because they don't have much else. Yeah, you know, thankfully, the Chiefs didn't put the pedal to the metal, pulled most of its starters. So, you know, let's let's move on to – the Monday night game, K-Dog. Yeah, the Monday night game will be against the New England Patriots at home. And uh, every, all the wide receivers are back. Darnold, of course, as soon as all the wide receivers are back, Darnold's out for the game. So Joe Flacco is going to be starting this game. And I, I, <laughs> I, th I think the Jets are going to win this game. I just have this feeling. <laughs> They're nine and a half point dogs, but I just right. have this feeling that the Jets might win this game. I don't well, want it to happen. I do not want it to happen whatsoever, but I just have this feeling that they're going to somehow take this game. So my question is, are you going on record to say the Jets are going to win this game? I don't know. Um, well, you got to make a prediction. Are they going to win or not? Because I'm going to give you my prediction. Yeah, they're going to win. They're going to win by three points. Okay, so that's your prediction. Yep. All right, so we got the 0-8 Jets versus the 2-5 and Patriots. And, and how much of an underdog are the Jets? Nine-and-a-half point dogs. Nine-and-a-half point dogs. Well, first of all, nobody wants to watch this game on Monday oh, night. Oh, God, no. <laughs> nobody. You know, the, the, the networks and the fans, they're hoping this game – gets canceled because of COVID-19 because it's a bad matchup. Nobody, nobody wants to watch this. You know, the Jets fans want to watch it because they just enjoy watching train wrecks 
and um, you know, New England, I guess their fans want to watch it, but we'll see how many, uh, you know, true blue fans they have as they start to go into uh, as their dynasty starts to end, you know, and, and they realize that without Tampa Bay, um, you know, without Tampa Bay, uh, Belichick, you know, isn't getting it done. But anyway, you know, New England comes to jet life off a loss against Buffalo that they could have won if Cam Newton didn't fumble the, the ball deep in Buffalo territory, right? Cam mm-hmm. Newton looks bad. He looks bad, K-Dog. Yeah. He was 15 for 24 with 174 yards and no TDs. Rushed for 54 yards, one TD. Cam's stats have been declining over the past four weeks. His arm doesn't look strong. He looks like a shell of the of his former self. The Pats D was weak against the Bills rush, which hasn't been strong, giving up 190 yards rushing and three TDs to the Bills. I mean, the Bills don't have a running game. Mm-hmm. The Pats are the Pats are coming in on a four-game losing streak. They're 0-3 on the road. Looking at the team's rankings, New England is 29th. The Jets are 32nd in the league and points scored so neither of these teams can score points new england's strength is running the ball ranking third in the league and the jets are actually uh 13th ranked with rush yards allowed so you know from a defensive perspective uh they're doing fairly well against the run-up but i think that's more of a testament of how poor they are against the pass Mm -hmm. neither team neither team have a passing game with both teams at the bottom of the league Defensively, New England stats are much better than the Jets, except their rush D is ranked 27th. I doubt it, um, but maybe they can exploit their their uh, less their uh, less than average run D. Maybe the Jets can stop the Pats' strength, the run, since that's the Jets' defensive strength. Believe it or not, K Dog, the Jets have the edge in turnover margin. <laughs> the Pats are minus two in turnover margin, which is terrible. You know, everybody expects from a Bill Belichick disciplined team, we don't turn the ball over, but they're minus two in the turnover margin and the Jets are plus one in the turnover margin. I can't believe it. Yeah, that's insane. I, I, I mean, I don't know how it's possible, but it's a fact. So what do I think, K-Dog? Unfortunately, I think the Jets screw up their Trevor Lawrence yep. chances <laughs> by beating the Patriots on Monday night by a score of 13 to 10 to get their first win. I hope I'm wrong, but I just have this bad feeling. Yeah, I know. Me. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> plus, hey, dog, plus, you know, I can see the Patriots somehow getting Trevor Lawrence and be, being a dynasty for another dec- decade while the Jets wallow in the mire. You know, picture this, K-Dog. <laughs> Buffalo gets has Josh Allen. Miami has Tua. And somehow the Patriots get Trevor and we got Sam. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, th- th- this, is th- this is the worst nightmare for, for Jets fans. We need to tank for Trevor. I know Sam Darnold's not playing. But that makes that makes me even more worried because, you know, Joe Flacco, you know, his skills have declined. He's been injured. But you know what? I think he can win a game before Sam Darnold can win a game. Yeah, that is true. And especially and, and with then, all the wide receivers back. <laughs> 
So, you know, plus the Jets play the Patriots last week of the season. And, you know, nobody's going to want to watch that game either. I hope it's not a Monday night or a Sunday night. You know, they'll have nothing to play for. And the Pats, you know, they may not win another game. And, and you know, and that could position them for Trevor Lawrence. You know, there's some – the Jets are, are – some way, somehow, I, I just have this bad nightmare that the Patriots will get Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> then, you know, for another decade, they'll be in first place and, and we'll stink. But we'll see. Yeah. That's well, my prediction. I'm prediction, predicting the Jets. Yeah. So we both have the Jets – We'll move on to the team. You must that... be looking at my notes again. <laughs> I, I would, but I mean, I'm five hours away. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> uh, since we were done with the Jets, we'll move on to the team that shares the stadium with the Jets, and it is the New York Giants. And on Monday night, they had a, a barn burner of a game against against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It was a 25-23 to 23 win for the Buccaneers the Giants controlled most of the game up until halftime. They controlled the game, and then the scoring just flipped on itself from Tom Brady. Tom Brady had 279 yards, two touchdowns, zero INTs. Daniel Jones had 256 yards, two touchdowns, and two crucial picks. Uh, Mike, Mike Evans from the Buccaneers had – Five receptions for 55 yards and a touchdown. That was good for 11 yards per catch. It was a really close game, a really fun game. I thought the Giants would squeak out a win against their old pal Tom again, but it didn't happen, and the Bucks moved to 6-2. and two. Yeah, K-Dog, you know, um, I thought it was an entertaining game. Giants lose to Brady's Bucks. Uh, I expected them to lose the game. I predicted 31-13, but the Giants, you know, covered the, the spread, only losing 25-23 to Tampa. You know, and although the Giants are 1-7, and seven, they've been competitive. You know, unlike the Jets, who haven't really been competitive, the Giants should have won this game. Mm-hmm. You know, and they look positioned to win the game leading at the half. The problem with the Giants is they haven't learned how to close a game. They could have at least three more wins if they could close, but it's probably due to having a young team and a QB that still needs to mature. The Giants QB, Daniel Jones, was at the root of the loss with two turnovers and an INT that led to the Bucs taking the lead for good. That inconsistent play and the turnovers by Daniel Jones has really hurt the Giants at times this year. Jones needs to learn how to protect the ball and try not to do too much if he wants to develop into a good QB. The stats between the two teams were very close, and the difference was Tampa Bay had Tom Brady, who didn't turn the ball over, and the Giants had Daniel Jones who with two turnovers. I mean, that's the tale of the tape, right? So they were competitive. But moving on to this week, K-Dog. We have the New York Giants taking on the Washington football team in an NFC East matchup. Uh, this game, oh my gosh, it's it's a battle of two and uh, two and uh, six Giants versus the 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 one and six Giants versus the two and five Washington football team. It's going to be a crazy game, to say the least, because these both of these teams suck. But I think I'm gonna go with the Giants winning by a touchdown. Beating the spread, Washington football team is a three-point favorite. 
I think the Giants win by a touchdown. I think they will win 24 to 13, win by 10 points. The Giants will take over. I think Daniel Jones will have a better game than Kyle Allen, and the Giants take the game. Wow. It's a bold prediction. Yeah. So the Giants travel to Washington to play the two and five Redskins. And, you know, the Redskins are the favorite. The question is, K-Dog, could the two New York football teams possibly be involved in two worst games that nobody cares about? (laughs) You know, the Skins are coming off a bye week, but they beat Dallas 25 to three the week before. But, you know, does anybody really care about the Giants versus the Washington Redskins? And does anybody really care about the Jets versus the Patriots? The answer is probably no, because all four teams are terrible. You know, the the Giants are 0-4 on the road this year, K-Dog, and the Skins are 2-2 at home. The Giants are 4-1 against the spread in the last five, right? So they're covering. Neither team can score with the Giants ranking 31st in the league and the Skins 30th in the league, only ahead of the New York Jets. So that tells you where they are. The D for both teams is half halfway decent, with the Giants ranking 14th in the league in points allowed and the Skins 11 in points allowed. Neither team manages the ball well, but the Giants are minus five in turnover margin. Minus five. Yeah. And that's why they don't that's why they're not winning. This game will come down to the QBs, K-Dog. Who will be better, Kyle Allen or Daniel Jones? I think this is going to be a turnover-filled, low-scoring game. However, I think the Giants have played well more frequently than not and could easily have three more wins. The Giants beat the Skins earlier this year. I know Haskins was the QB that game, and his career is over, but Kyle Allen isn't far and away better. I think Danny Dimes has shown flashes, and I think he'll rebound from Monday night's poor performance. K-Dog, as a result, I'm calling the Giants to beat the Skins outright. Oh, man. 17 to 13. Yep. Could this could this be the week that both New York football teams win a game in the same weekend? Uh, that would be an anomaly. Holy moly. Uh, I may be crazy, but that's what I'm predicting. I'm predicting yeah, the Giants same. win <laughs> and the Jets win. Oh, we're both predicting the New York teams to win. That that can only go one way. <laughs> that, yeah, well, that's bad. Yeah. You know what? I mean, the Jets are going to screw it up. They screw everything up. I mean, yeah. You know, it, they, they shouldn't play Joe Flacco. They should pretend he's hurt and put in whoever their third string guy is. And, you know, just you, you can't, they can't win a game. They have to go 0 and 16 because Jacksonville is like one and six, I believe. And, and Houston's one and something too, right? And they, they play this weekend. So one of them will have two wins unless they tie. But, you know, the Jets don't have any margin for error. They cannot win a game. They have to go mm-hmm. 0-16. Yep. Otherwise, they're going to screw up. Yeah. So, since we're done with the Jets and Giants preview and rewind, we'll move on to our final topic of the day, which is K-Dog's Fantasy Minute. Oh, I love K-Dog's Fantasy Minute. I can't wait for this. It's not 
And this week, we unfortunately lost 116 to 84. Yo, you got, you lost, got smoked. Yeah, we, we what, lost. What happened? What we, happened? Our first, our first game in six weeks, we lost. We, we were on a five game winning streak and we finally hit a roadblock. We lost 116 to 84. I'll start off with my performer of the week. It was Tyreek Hill with 23.8 points, obviously against the Jets. 23.8 points was the performer of the week. And that's that's nice, Tyreek Hill putting up some good numbers. You know? Yeah. My loser of the week was Rodrigo Blankenship at kicker. He only had three total points, which was he only not had good. Three total points? Yeah. What was he not wearing? What was he not wearing his goggles? <laughs> yeah, he might not have been. Uh, <laughs> another another loser of the week was Justin Jefferson with four point one points. So oh, he he only had four point one points. Yeah. So that's that's what did me in. So that and then my surprise of the week was he must have been watching the LSU football game. Yeah, <laughs> my surprise of the week was uh, the Saints defense. They had seven points, which is pretty good for a defense. But not, not bad, not bad. You know, they got but, Demario Davis, your guy Demario yeah. Davis, right? Yeah, we, we like Demario Davis. Yeah, we love Demario. But wish uh, he was on the Jets still. But hey, okay. Yeah. Go. So we lost this week. We are five and three. We are still, I believe, uh, the second seed, so that's good. So we'll try. We'll we got to try and be six and three next week. So hopefully that happens. Yeah. Well, you know, you were on a, what a five game winning streak. So yeah. You, now you got to start a new winning streak. That's what yeah. it comes down to. Yeah, that's very true. Okay, so, dog. It comes down to you got you got to start a new winning streak. Yeah. Yep. So we'll see what happens next week. But that's it's it from the cellar to today. You. And here's hoping our New teams get out of the cellar soon.